0: Welcome to episode 9 of Making Websites Win. If you haven't done so already, we recommend you start at episode 1 and listen to the episodes in sequence. Otherwise, welcome back. Let's continue. Winning websites sail past the competition. If your visitors are choosing your competitors, here's how to win. If you don't have a strategy for winning despite competitors, you are doomed. This chapter describes many powerful concepts and techniques we have used to help our clients dominate in some of the world's most competitive markets. Some of the things you'll get in this chapter. Four reasons why niching usually wins. How to spot good niches. Three easy techniques you can use. And... 6 Ways to Spot Opportunities Your Competitors Will Ignore How to Make Your Visitors Choose You and Not Your Competitors No company exists in a vacuum. Sometimes, visitors abandon your website simply because they prefer your competitors. How can you win the sale? You could attempt to become better than all of your competitors in every way, but it's hard being all things to all people. It's much more effective to niche, to focus your efforts on being the best in a small number of dimensions. You can be the best by providing a subset of features that some people would love. Budget airlines chose a single dimension in which to excel – low headline prices. They lowered headline prices by cutting costs and turning many features into optional upsells capturing the large segment of the market that made its decision based primarily on headline price. Our client De Flores is an e-commerce store that became successful by delivering a restricted range of products, flowers, to a restricted geographical location, Latin America, at a time when its competitors hadn't established the infrastructure to provide this service. Often You can niche by targeting a particular group of customers. For example, our client Voices.com is a job website that serves only voiceover artists and people who are seeking voiceover artists. Our client Moz serves SEOs. Moz's product has changed over the years, but its target market has remained roughly the same throughout. Niching often wins. When you niche your service to a particular group of needs or customers you get several powerful advantages. To illustrate the point, consider shampoo. If you study the shelves of a supermarket you'll see shampoo for the following. Oily, itchy and greasy hair, heavily dandruffy hair, suave professional hair, hair with fox poo in it. To be fair, this one may not be in the same section of the supermarket. In fact, you'd struggle to find general-purpose shampoo that isn't niched to a particular type of hair. Nished shampoos have displaced all the non-niched ones because they have been more successful with customers. Four reasons why niching usually wins. Niching is effective for several reasons. One... A niche product is worded in terms of the customer's needs. The niche product effectively says, I understand your situation and I am a ready-made solution for it. It's hard to overlook a product that has been designed to satisfy your exact need. Two, people are aware that niched things are often better. A surgeon who specialises in a rare type of gastric operation will tend to be better at it than a surgeon who hasn't. Specialists tend to be more proficient than generalists because they have focused their resources on solving a narrower problem. As a result, most people recognise that specialisation is an indicator of high performance. So, even if all shampoo bottles were to contain the same ingredients – customers would still expect the specialist ones to be better. 3. Niching allows you to become the best in the world. No one checks into a hotel and asks the concierge, what's the second best Chinese restaurant nearby? Seth Godin argues that buyers always want the best in the world. Though he admits that the best depends on what the target segment wants – for example, Chinese food, and that the world may be restricted, for example, to restaurants within a certain distance of the hotel. Godin argues that, to be successful, a person or company must define the world it will be best in, and what it means by best, and then crucially, to not fall short. 4. Things that are niched get attention. All death metal bands have similar logos, all spiky white fonts on a black background, except for the band Party Cannon. Party Cannon's logo is composed of cheerful, bulging letters in primary colours. It looks more like a logo for a toy store than for a band that creates a menacing wall of sound. But on the festival posters, which are otherwise monochrome, Party cannon stands out like a bunch of balloons, rising above the visual noise. Nicheing works best for marginal outsiders. Nicheing works best in marketplaces that are noisy and overcrowded. By being distinctive, you win a disproportionate amount of attention. Once you have grown to saturate your niche though, you need to satisfy more people and needs. At that point, The winning strategy is to become less niched and more moderate. You see this happen during TV talent shows and political campaigns. At the start of a political campaign, a candidate benefits from being extreme. As the campaign progresses and competitors are eliminated, strategic candidates tend to mellow, sacrificing attention-getting antics in order to appeal to a broader audience. Tread on as few toes as possible. The software company, HubSpot, refuses to offer consulting services. Instead, it operates a partner programme for agencies. As a result, many consultancies around the world evangelise HubSpot. If HubSpot had chosen to offer consultancy services, those same companies would have actively avoided recommending HubSpot. By being niched and focused, your company can be symbiotic with other businesses. Neighbouring companies become allies. By being unfocused and broad, your company treads on more toes. Those allies become competitors. Exercise restraint when widening the scope of your services. Try to minimise your number of competitors. Keep your footprints small. How to spot good niches. Three easy techniques you can use. The following techniques help you to reliably identify good niches. 1. Look back at the success you have had over the past year. You may find that it has a theme. You may have already started niching inadvertently. Amplify that niching by communicating it to your visitors. In his book Entrepreneurship and Innovation, Peter Drucker describes how Macy's department store initially downplayed the growing effect of appliance sales on its profits. It considered the sales to be an embarrassing success. Macy's profits rose only once it embraced appliance sales as a part of its image. 2. As markets grow, they fragment If you can pick the next dimension along which your market will fragment, you can get there first. Match.com used to be the only dating website anyone had heard of. As the industry grew, many niched dating websites became successful. There are now successful dating websites aimed at Long-Term Relationships, eHarmony Time-Starved Professionals, Lovestruck people who don't want to pay, plenty of fish, people of certain religions, Christian mingle, country folk, muddy matches and, uh ahem, Tinder. Three, what is luxury today will be mainstream tomorrow. Study your most advanced, sophisticated, wealthiest users. The problems they have today and the solutions they use will soon be mass market. Such users give you a glimpse of the future. When Plasma TVs first came out, they were used only by exhibitors at trade shows. As prices fell, Plasma TVs began to be bought by public venues like bars. It took years before they began to be bought for domestic use. What are your sophisticated users buying today? How can you help to make that service mainstream? Niching works best when you create a new category. When we started working with Mobile, it rented phones to international travellers. So did its competitors. We created a new value proposition for Mobile, a travel phone you could own for just $49 with no monthly fees. Suddenly, mobile was no longer one of many phone rental companies, it was the $49 travel phone company. Reviews in travel magazines would say, if you need a phone when you're abroad, you have two options, one, rent one, or two, buy a mobile phone. By creating a new category, mobile became 50% of the available options and gained free coverage in Time, Inc., The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and almost every travel magazine. Seven ways to spot niching opportunities your competitors will ignore. One of the most common mistakes is simply to identify an opportunity and then aim to capture it. Just because something is an opportunity today doesn't mean it's worth chasing. Instead, look for opportunities that you can seize without a struggle – because your competitors won't stop you. List your opportunities, and then run them through the following checklist to identify which of them your competitors are likely to avoid. 1. Some competitors will avoid an opportunity because it runs against their strategy, their brand, and what they stand for. If Rolex were to start making cars, you could predict with reasonable confidence that it would target the luxury end of the market. Rolex would be unlikely to compete with a company that sells low-end cars. If Ikea were to launch a car, on the other hand, you might expect it to be lower-priced and more functionally designed, and maybe you'd need to assemble the engine yourself. Ikea would, therefore, be less likely to compete with a company that sells luxury cars. 2. Coca-Cola brands itself as being an age-old classic. Pepsi is, therefore, safe to position itself as being modern because Coca-Cola will not attempt to occupy that position. 3. Some competitors will avoid an opportunity because it would disrupt their existing business. When Google first made its office software free, it was safe to assume that Microsoft wouldn't do the same. Such a move would have undermined too much of Microsoft's revenue. In his book, The Innovator's Dilemma, Clayton Christensen calls this principle dependency. Companies depend on their existing customers, revenue and investors and are unlikely to upset them. 4. You ideally want to focus on an opportunity that will inevitably grow. To skate where the puck is going. Fortunately, many competitors will avoid such an opportunity because it isn't big enough yet. This leaves a gap that you can fill. Even when an opportunity will imminently become large, many competitors will ignore it until it happens. 5. Some competitors will avoid an opportunity because they have a track record of failing at that activity or not even trying. If a company has always failed at something, or has always avoided doing it, you can predict with reasonable confidence that it will continue to do the same. Often, you'll never find out the reasons. Fortunately, you don't need to. For example, when Yahoo acquires a tech company, you can be reasonably confident that the tech company will no longer be a threat. 6. Some competitors will avoid an opportunity because it doesn't match their strengths. In this respect, it's helpful to consider what Guy Kawasaki calls your unfair advantages. 7. Some competitors will avoid an opportunity because they don't know something that you do. Your experience may reveal an opportunity that other companies wouldn't even recognise or appreciate. Are the following psychological biases stopping you from niching? If niching is so effective, why do so few companies do it? Because niching means overcoming three types of psychological discomfort. Discomfort one Focus equals neglect. Many people agree that they need to focus more, but they think that focus means concentrate. It doesn't. Focus means neglect. As Steve Jobs said, focus means saying no to the hundred other good ideas. Focusing doesn't feel empowering. It feels embarrassing, upsetting and scary. A sign that you are focusing is that you frequently cringe at the things you aren't doing. Your head knows you are doing the right thing, but your stomach turns at the things you are neglecting. How can you overcome the cringing feeling? Remind yourself that your neglect can be temporary. Once you dominate a particular niche, you can incrementally expand the scope of your business, as Amazon has done. Amazon started by being a bookstore and is heading toward being an everything store. Discomfort 2. You must ignore social proof. If you see people running out of a building, you would be wise to copy them. Maybe the building is on fire. People trust social proof because it's often a reliable indicator. However, it can work against you. Next time your market research reveals an opportunity and you wonder why no one else has tried it, be aware that your desire for social proof might be the only thing standing between you and success. Discomfort 3 – You mustn't conform We tend to behave like those around us, to be liked or accepted. This same instinct can cause marketers to feel a twinge of discomfort every time they stray from the norm. But niching means doing things that others don't. So next time you feel a twinge of awkwardness because your company is doing something eccentric – because you are sticking your neck out, remind yourself that your desire for conformity might be holding you back. The Riches in Niches The best way to beat your competitors is often to redefine yourself so that you have fewer of them. Be prepared to go to war, but choose your battles wisely. Winning websites keep attention. If your visitors are forgetting about you, here's how to make them keep coming back. Your visitors aren't all sitting in a usability testing lab in isolation. They are real people living real lives. Their kids might ask to be fed, and they have to abandon their online shopping to go and cook a bowl of breakfast cereal. Their taxi driver might arrive to take them to line dancing. Their dog might knock a glass of red wine onto the floor and so they hurriedly abandon the life insurance form they were completing and instead spend the next 20 minutes mopping an excellently clingy Shiraz with apricot top notes out of their rug. Stuff like that. Real lives can be distracting. Once your visitors are distracted, they may never come back. How can you, as a web marketer, overcome those problems? You can't make breakfasts, you can't postpone line dancing, you can't absorb wine. So, how can you make those visitors come back? Solution 1. Be memorable enough so that they return. There are many ways to be memorable. Here are just three examples. Have a memorable name. Once someone has heard the name Survey Monkey, they are likely to remember it. There's a conversion benefit that many of SurveyMonkey's competitors, Typeform, for example, don't have. If you want to create a great, memorable name for your product or company, we highly recommend you get the book Hello, My Name is Awesome by Alexandra Watkins. Alexandra's company, Eat My Words, also offers a useful free PDF. Have an entertaining message. Dollar Shave Club became famous overnight with a video ad that went viral. Within four years, it sold to Unilever for $1 billion. Be different. Ling's Cars is a real business. It's much larger than it appears. It achieves memorability by looking absolutely crazy. Solution two. Establish ways to communicate with the visitors on an ongoing basis. If you can get your visitors' contact details or persuade them to follow you, then the pressure's off. You no longer need to persuade them in a single session. You can do it over a period of days, weeks, months or years. The following techniques turn a one-time visit into an ongoing conversation making your business resilient to taxis, wine stains, hungry kids and whatever else life throws at your visitors. Offer a no-brainer deal with a tiny commitment. Consider how you could greatly increase the conversion rate of the first visit by greatly reducing the commitment your visitors need to make. We describe this in detail in Step 2, Should You Use Long or Short Copy. Persuade your visitors to follow you on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube or whichever social network is used most in your industry. Use ad retargeting to persuade your visitors to come back. Retargeted ads are particularly effective. Visitors who visited once tend to be extremely likely to visit again. Collect your visitors' contact details, their email addresses, postal addresses and or phone numbers, and then create a follow-up flow that keeps their attention and persuades them to proceed. In many industries, such as education, this beats everything else. Many companies ask for contact details as soon as the visitors arrive. It may seem a bit forward, but it works. Winning websites... Get prompt action. If your visitors are taking their time, here's how to get them to act immediately. In exit surveys, visitors often report that they need to go away and think about it. Such responses are particularly common for purchases that are complex and non urgent. In such cases, the best solution is usually to look for reasons for urgency. How travel agents use urgency. The travel industry is masterful at finding reasons for urgency and scarcity, which it expresses frequently throughout booking processes. At every step, there is a genuine reason for the visitor to hurry up. Let's look for a hotel in New York and see the techniques in action. Notifications often appear over the page a few seconds after it loads, capturing the visitor's attention. Within seconds of the page loading, a first notification appears in the top right corner. There are 14 people looking at this hotel. Ah, so it's a competition. This communicates scarcity and urgency. Almost immediately, a second notification appears. This property was booked just 16 minutes ago from the United Kingdom. So, those 14 people aren't just looking, they're booking. Note how the specific details make the urgency more palpable. A third notification appears. New York City prices for your dates have gone up in the last few hours. So, not only are rooms selling out, they're becoming more expensive. And then, book now. You don't need to pay till you get there. Cancellation is free. Which lowers the perceived risk of acting urgently. A minute ago, we were idly browsing hotels. We didn't even know there was a Novotel hotel in Times Square. Now we are caught in a Black Friday-style stampede for it. Notice how the page elements mentioned don't just repeat the same message. They manage to express urgency in many subtly different ways. Framing gains as losses Ticket brokers focus on urgency too. Imagine you receive an email announcing that an 80s soft metal band are having a reunion tour. You click on it out of curiosity. Before you know it, the ticket broker has reserved particular seats for you and then show a timer at the side of the page. It's the only animated part of the page, so it flickers its message of urgency in the corner of your eye as you study the page. This alert doesn't just express urgency. It has turned the decision into a fear of loss. The seat numbers have already been reserved for you. Now you just need to decide whether to abandon them or not. According to prospect theory, changes that are framed as losses are weighed much more heavily than changes that are framed as gains. And before you can say soft rock poodle perm, you have bought tickets to see 90 minutes of new romantic power ballads. How Some Companies Build Scarcity Into Their Offers In our experience, almost all businesses have genuine scarcity and urgency. However, many companies manufacture scarcity and urgency in the same way that they manufacture their products. Manufacturers of luxury goods, like Rolex, Ferrari, Louis Vuitton, build scarcity into their marketing plans. Even if the product isn't scarce, the offer can be. Companies like Bose create rolling, time-limited offers. For example, Bose might offer free accessories for anyone who orders by the end of the month. But what happens the following month? No more offer? Instead, the offer simply switches to another time-limited offer, which expires at the end of that month. Such offers allow the company to always have a reason for the visitor to act promptly. An extreme example of rolling time-limited offers are Daily Deals websites. Principles of urgency Urgency is about time. Explore reasons why your visitors should act promptly. Whenever possible, have a deadline and always give a reason why the deadline exists. If there are no inevitable deadlines, consider creating deadlines. For example, offer a premium or discount for people who respond within a certain period. For example, conferences usually have an early bird registration period. Look for scarcity in your business. Scarcity causes an inevitable deadline, the time at which the scarce resource runs out. Winning websites thrive in an imperfect world. If parts of your sales funnel are outside of your control and are terrible, here's how to win regardless. Are parts of your sales funnel outside of your control? Many marketers have their hands tied, unable to edit crucial parts of their funnels. This is particularly common for businesses that are paid for generating leads for other businesses. For example, for financial services, education, healthcare or real estate. A financial services company might send its visitors to an application form on a bank's website – If the bank's website is terrible, many are, what can the financial services company do? A college education broker might send its leads to an application form on a particular college's website. If the college's website is terrible, many are, what can the broker do? A real estate broker or a healthcare provider might send its visitors to a local sales team that is terrible at closing the deal. Many are... What can the real estate broker do? The problem also occurs when part of the funnel is managed by a different department that isn't interested in doing CRO. This happens surprisingly often. For example, many of our clients hire us for help with their marketing materials, but then discover through our research that numerous opportunities lie within the onboarding and usability of the product itself. This is really common with web app companies. The other part of the organisation is typically much worse at CRO. We presume it's because of the Dunning-Kruger effect. People who lack particular skills also lack the metacognition to appreciate their lack of skills. Regardless, it's frustrating for your visitors, who have to face the handover of death, and for you – who knows it could be prevented. 7. Effective remedies for when you don't control the conversion page. Here's what you can do to fix the problem. 1. Ensure your visitors are fully persuaded. Ensure that your visitors are fully persuaded before they leave your website. Don't rush them to leave. Don't push them into a checkout process, for example, before they are persuaded to take action. 2. Ensure your visitors qualify. Before your visitors leave, ensure that they qualify for the product they are considering. Financial products, for example, often have many qualification criteria. If you send a visitor to apply for a mortgage that they aren't qualified for, they won't, can't in fact, convert and you are unlikely to see them again. 3. Hustle your tracking code onto the ultimate conversion page. If you are only able to track when someone clicks away from your website, you will optimize your business for clickouts, not for conversions. So, do whatever you can to put tracking code on the ultimate conversion page, even if it takes some negotiating and hustling. That way, you can optimize for the true goal. 4. Be a destination, not just the station. Build a relationship with your visitors. You don't want to simply be the station that your visitors pass through on the way to their final destination. Find ways of providing value to them so they come to see you as a trusted advisor. Get their contact details or get them to follow you on social media so they remember to return next time they need your advice. Five. Be memorable. Be memorable in terms of your name and branding so that visitors think of you next time they have the same need. 6. Have a reason why visitors should order via you. Offer visitors a reason to order via you rather than via a competitor. A highly effective technique is to give away information because the marginal cost of doing so is almost zero, yet it can provide significant value to the customer. Information can be a deal-maker. Shell Oil did this with outrageous success by giving away booklets about motoring. The booklets had titles like How You Can Spot Some Car Problems Before They Cost Big Money and How To Save Gasoline When You Buy A Car, Drive A Car and Take Care Of A Car. The campaign was reported to be Shell's most successful ever, with 300 million booklets given away. 7. Expand your influence Do whatever you can to get permission to edit those parts of the funnel that aren't in your control. One of our clients, a phone company... Discovered that one third of all its inbound calls were from customers inquiring how to use the travel adapters that came free with the phones. We decided to contact the company that made the travel adapters and offered to redesign its packaging to make it more usable. After several rounds of iteratively designing and then usability testing, we sent off the much improved packaging designs to the manufacturer. Several weeks later, when customers started receiving the newly designed travel adapters, the problematic inbound customer calls dropped to zero. Winning websites have a huge lifetime customer value, LCV. How to identify opportunities to increase your LCV, the powerful conversion metric that people forget about. Some people wrongly believe that CRO stops when a customer places an order. In fact, increasing repeat purchases is one of the easiest ways to grow your business. Another is to enthuse customers to tell their friends. In this chapter, you'll learn some techniques to turn visitors into raving fans who love your company, spend a lot and tell their friends to do the same. Your conversion funnel may start with ad impressions, which lead to visitors clicking on the ads, visiting your landing page and making a first purchase. But it doesn't stop there. You must then focus on subsequent purchases and on the customers telling their friends. Your conversion funnel extends to the whole customer experience and beyond. To win at conversion... You must win at LCV. The most successful companies can outbid their competitors in advertising, not just because they outconvert their competitors, but also because their customers keep returning to spend more. That way, the cost of acquiring a customer can be recouped over the total lifetime of the customer. Furthermore, existing customers are easier to convert, provided they had a good experience the first time round. So, how can you get customers to spend more and more often? We have worked with many companies and we have noticed commonalities in the ones that have become most successful. The following sections reveal our observations on what works. A mindset to maximise LCV Does success come to those who deserve it? Until recently, the answer was no. But the world is changing quickly and the answer is moving toward yes. Good people and good companies are increasingly getting what they deserve. The phrase, if you build it, they will come, used to be a falsism. But the internet has made consumers much better at finding great products and services. Here's an example. In the past... A bad restaurant in a tourist hotspot could prosper by preying on an endless supply of naive customers. Now, thanks to websites like TripAdvisor, prospective diners can find out the truth. So, diners go to the best restaurants and they avoid the bad ones. The top-rated restaurants get almost all of the money. If we ran a restaurant, we'd focus on delivering value – by cooking great food and making customers happy, in the firm belief that everything else would look after itself, because the truth would get out. If your core value isn't high, you'll get almost no rewards until you become the best available option for your target market, at which point the rewards come rushing in. Because everyone wants the best. No one goes shopping for their second best option. So, if you were running a restaurant, you'd want your food and service to be not just good, but the best. And you'd want your employees to be not just happy, but the happiest. Because being best is disproportionately more fruitful than being second, third or fourth. Of course, the definition of best requires you to niche to a particular target market and a particular offering. A fast food restaurant is the best at satisfying particular needs of particular customers. So we advise our clients to become deserving of what you want. To build a company that deserves to be hugely successful because it's the best in the world at delivering value. To focus their efforts on delivering and improving every aspect of their service. This isn't just nice-to-hear fluff. Many marketers are attracted to short-term hacks and black hat secrets. If you ever go to a conference where one of the talks has a title that mentions sneaky tricks, notice how full the room is. Companies that win at conversion tend to be those that aim to build something great. Use net promoter score to improve customer happiness. How can you measure whether you're turning visitors into raving fans? Net Promoter Score, MPS, can be simple and effective. To measure your raving fanness, simply ask your customers the following question. On a scale of 0 to 10, how likely are you to recommend us to a friend or colleague? You then calculate the percentage of respondents who gave scores of 9 or 10 – MPS calls those people promoters – and then subtract the percentage of respondents who gave scores of naught to 6 – MPS calls them detractors. The theory is that promoters will grow your business via word of mouth and that detractors will shrink your business via word of mouth. An MPS of plus 100 would mean that every customer would be a raving fan, evangelising you wherever they go. An NPS of minus 100 would mean the opposite, that every customer is out there complaining. NPS isn't just useful as a metric, it's useful as a concept. An NPS of plus 100 is a guiding star that every team member can envisage and strive for. Your raving fans are likely to make subsequent purchases and they are likely to recommend you to their friends. Upsell and cross-sell In addition to selling more of the same thing, you can also increase LCV by satisfying additional needs. In the chapter about giving people what they want, we described a process to identify what your customers will buy from you and how to explore which of those opportunities will make the biggest impact. No bounds. Let CRO permeate every aspect of a business. One of our clients sells sheds online. Our CEO, Ben, was the most in need of a new shed. More accurately, he was the person least reluctant to get one. Ben had many insights during the buying process. One of the more interesting insights came once the shed was delivered to the front of his house. Ben discovered that the shed's components would not fit easily through a standard doorway. They scraped the paint off the house's door frame. Based on this feedback... Our client redesigned all its sheds so that no component was too large to fit through a doorway. This improved the client's customer feedback rating, which was already high. Some people would deem shed testing to be outside of the remit of CRO. But you can apply your CRO skills to every aspect of a business throughout the whole customer experience. We've applied CRO to offline advertising, explainer videos… Product design, sales scripts, recruitment funnels, training programmes, you name it, we've optimised it. The following activities are often effective at increasing customer satisfaction and LCV. Building the relationship with visitors via regular follow-up with an email autoresponder sequence or a lead generation welcome pack. Being more than a store becoming a community and or a trusted advisor, creating and optimising a a refer-a-friend programme, cross-selling on your thank you page. This can increase the net profit considerably because you've already acquired the customers, so the additional gross profit goes straight to the bottom line. In the next episode, we'll describe in detail how we pulled together all of the techniques we've described so far and used them to grow a company at record-breaking speed. By the end of the episode, you'll know how it feels to work through all the steps to manage a hugely successful CRO project. And that's all for this episode. If you'd like to be kept up to date with our new discoveries, get our free email newsletter from conversion-rate-experts.com/gifts. Until next time, we wish you the best of luck with making your website win.